Bonjour, hello, and happy Monday, everybody. Take two. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 14 of Pick Up the Blitz. Super excited to be with you all this Monday morning. Uh, we're going to take this podcast in two parts, as we usually do. We're going to take our weekly trip around the gridiron, talking about New York Jets safety Jamal Adams requesting a trade, a few NFL players and staff members testing positive for COVID-19, and then we're going to get into the meat of our podcast. We're in the final week of our divisional breakdown series, the NFC South, and I must just say, as I look over this division, again, in terms of every division practically in the entire NFL, looks to be some really, really solid competition for those one, two, even three and four spots. So super excited to get into that. But before we get there, let's talk Jamal Adams. The New York Jets safety requested a trade um, in the last week. He's going into his fourth season this year. I'm sure as all of you know, he's a two-time Pro Bowler, 2019 first-team All-Pro, 2018 second-team All-Pro. He's actually technically under contract for two more seasons as his fifth-year option was picked up this past offseason. Guys, I'm just curious where we think he's going to go. You know, social media is a really powerful thing, and he actually put out a list, or Adam Schefter, I think, put out a list for him, um, talking about teams that he likes, the Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, and Seahawks made that list. Pretty interesting. All teams that have Super Bowl aspirations this year. I guess no surprise there. Where do we think he wants to go this year? And, And sort of more importantly than that, where do we think he'll find the most success this year? So that's a, uh, it's a, those are two very good questions. Um, when it comes to the success point, uh, Adams has already proven that he's a, he's a hell of a football player. So he's going to have success wherever he goes. Um, I, I think for him, it just comes down to which, which of these teams does he think he has the best chance of winning a championship with, right? Because if I'm, if I'm that talented of a player and I'm that over the New York Jets organization, I'm going to try and go to a team where, I have the highest opportunity, the highest percent chance of winning a Super Bowl. And yeah, if you look at this list, right, Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, oh, I don't know about Texans, Ravens, Cowboys, Chiefs, Eagles, Niners, and the Seahawks, every single one of them could have a, um, you know, has a very solid opportunity to make a run into uh, the Super Bowl. But if I'm him, I'm going to try, if I have any sway, right, in, in any say in the matter, I'm going to try and push for the Chiefs or the 49ers. If he goes to the 49ers, that's going to be uh, what was already a very good defense is already it's going to be significantly more improved. And if he goes to the Chiefs, I think, you know, the the Chiefs their defense needs work. Uh it's not it's not, you know, a problem, but they always can use more players to help help bolster that that especially that secondary. So it just makes a lot of sense for me if I especially if I'm in a win now mode like the 49ers and the Chiefs seem to be. I would probably, if I'm Jamal Adams, look at one of those teams as an opportune uh, landing spot because they just present the best chance, I think, to to really uh, make a run at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm sure when when Adam Schefter put this list out, he it says per source at the end of his tweet. I wouldn't be surprised if that source was just Jamal Adams' agent here who wanted to put out the teams <laughs> or, Jamal that, or Jamal Adams himself that he was interested in because, um, like you like you both have said already, all of those teams um, are, are probably places a player would really want to play, especially if they want to win. But you know, so when 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 this first new when this news first came out, I put out from our pick of the blitz account. So I have to sort of stick with the, with the team I put out on there. Um, I said the Jaguars, and I said the Jaguars not necessarily because it's a place Jamal Adams would really want to go himself, but you know, even in the NFL, players sometimes do and sometimes don't necessarily have a lot of say about where they're actually going to end up. And this is a team that definitely could and should trade for him. It's a team that has a defense that 
has lost a bunch of players, but they've started to rebuild it. Now there's a new foundation there. They have an extra first-round pick next year from the Jalen Ramsey trade, and they have a ton of cap space um, to make an extension with him. So this is a team that the Jets maybe would find it an, uh, an easier trade partner in, and if Jamal Adams really does one out of New York, um, the Jaguars, from that standpoint, do make quite a bit of sense. If he really doesn't want to go to Jacksonville, that's a whole other story in and of itself. Going from the New York market to the Jacksonville market is definitely a bit of a downgrade from the player's marketing perspective. Um, but in terms of a team that's going to be able to take him on and extend him right away to the money he wants, Jacksonville makes quite a bit of sense to me. But do you think that Jacks that fits in with Jacksonville's rebuild plan? I think to have a guy who's going to be sort of the leader of your defense and even your team and your locker room for the next five, six years. You bring in that guy and you say, this is the guy we're going to build our defense around. And Jamal Adams is that caliber type of safety. I mean, three years in the league and he's already made second team All-Pro and first team All-Pro in separate years and two Pro Bowls. This is the kind of guy you can build your defense around. So as a team that is sort of going to be laying the foundation this year for uh, trying to make a run over the next half decade, that's a guy I'd be comfortable building my defense around. But what but what do you think about the like? What are you going to have to pay? I'm sorry, Trevor, uh, for interrupting. What are you going to have to pay for draft picks in order to get this guy? That's a great question. Because if you're if you're going to pay if you have to pay two firsts, you know he right. he might be a cornerstone piece, but you could also get your you could get your quarterback of the future if you're Jacksonville, right? If you if Minshew ends up totally blowing it this year, right? You can use those first two picks to go get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, and to me that that is a much more important. Uh, piece to your overall puzzle than Jamal Adams is no disrespect in any way to Jamal Adams. It's just your quarterback needs to be, you know, the priority. And if Minshew is not the answer, then you need to you need to get one of those top guys before before somebody else does. And if you trade away your two round, first round picks for that talented safety, then you got no you got no quarterback, and you're stuck with Minshew whether he's good or bad. No, you're absolutely right, hundred percent. And that's that's a very fair caveat. That said, if the if the Jaguars can trade. The Rams' first-round pick, because I don't think I have a feeling the Jaguars' first-round pick is going to be a little more valuable than the Rams' first-round pick. Sure. If they can trade Agreed. the Rams' first-round pick, and then maybe a third-round pick or a second-round pick the next year, or even if it's a second-round pick this year and a second-round pick next year, it, dep it depends on the price. But they're a team with the ammunition and cap space to make it happen. And if I, if I'm Jacksonville, I'm not trading two first-round picks at all. Absolutely not. 100. No, I'm saving. I'm saving at least one of those to potentially go and get my quarterback. But. If the price is not two first-round picks next year, which would be a very steep price for a safety, even a safety of Jamal Adams' elite caliber, then I'm definitely interested in him. Because, like I said, this is a foundational defensive piece who can be a leader of the team for the next while. I do like a couple other teams on this list, for sure. There are a couple other teams I do like. The Texans would make sense if they didn't give up everything they have on their team for Laramie Tunsil. Um... But there are a couple of teams I like on there. The Cowboys maybe could make sense. They've been looking for uh, an elite safety for some time. Um, the 49ers, that would just be plain unfair at the level that that defense would then be at. Um, Absolutely. And uh, the Ravens also I think have the Cowboys. Space, so. I think the Cowboys are also one of those interesting things, too, because if they bring in Adams, right, then there's there's the good chance that they're not going to sacrifice that, that draft capital with without having a contract already in the works so if they if they bring in jamal adams and then re-sign him where does Dak go that's that's, right? that's because the problem that, with the cowboys is that they've they've paid that's gonna be a they've mess. Paid everyone already and they still haven't paid Dak, and so i'm not quite sure they can now justify paying someone else and not paying Dak. yeah um 
but and it's it's definitely a possibility. The Eagles too could make some sense. They've now sort of gotten out of of, of cap problems that they had a couple of years ago, and they they have some some space there, so that can make some sense. And that well. and that's the hesitation I have towards picking the Chiefs as well, because even though the Chiefs obviously are going to have that Super Bowl uh, aspiration, right, that repeat aspiration, they just they're they're not going to be able to re-sign him now. Maybe next year if they cut a lot of lot of fat, but there's. There's no way they could re-sign him this year. Yeah, actually, looking at looking at the Eagles' cap space next year, they're going to have some problems. So maybe maybe, maybe that doesn't work cap wise. That, that that's the tricky part with all these teams. And another reason I like a team that has some more ammunition in the Jaguars is that Jamal Adams is going to cost a lot. He's probably going to reset the safety market. So you know, all these contender teams who are paying all these veterans could be tough for a few of them for sure. Yeah, I was uh, I, I was going to jump in. I think with when Nick was talking a, a little bit about. Um, the Jacksonville point, and then Justy sort of got in there with the uh, the Houston Texans point. I think it's interesting that he included the Texans on that list. Um, as we talked a lot about that team last week, I'm not sure if this list was put together before what's been going on um, in the last couple of, now it's not even that recent that the Texans have sort of seemingly imploded, um, or maybe there's just something that we're not seeing. Uh, certainly interesting to include them because you look at the rest of those teams in the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Niners, the Seahawks, the Ravens, and the Cowboys, those are all pretty top-tier contenders. And the Jags are interesting. Um, the only problem I see, or one of the problems I see with Jacksonville, is that you know when you're in a market like New York or California, uh, and you're not with a team that's winning, you're still in a big market. Whereas when you're with Jacksonville, in spite of the other cap issues that we just talked about, there's not a whole lot else going on that's there. And so I think that you know in terms of what players want to do when they're you know talking about committing four, five, six years to a team, I think that part of that, especially when you're deciding on a team that isn't necessarily a contender right now that doesn't even really have a super um, super solidified plan going forward, at least at this point, other than maybe getting a quarterback if Minshew doesn't pan with their draft picks. I'm not sure that that's going to be the most attractive for him, but it remains to be seen. I mean, to talk about adding a cornerstone piece of your defense without giving up your first-round picks would be huge, especially given the money he's going to command and the cap space they'll have. So certainly will be interesting. And that's an interesting point for wondering why he really even wants to leave New York in the first place. I mean, there, there were talks at the beginning of the offseason that they were in the thick of, of extension uh, debates, or um, negotiations, rather, for his extension. Um, and now all of a sudden he wants out. I mean, there were rumors that the GM said, oh, you're, you're going to be a Jet for life, don't worry. And then he started fielding trade talks, and so Jamal Adams got offended. But, I mean, if, if you're a player in the thick of negotiation talks to stay with the franchise that drafted you in the biggest media market or one of them, in the NFL, um, it's kind of a surprise that he wants to force his way out. Maybe Adam Gase is just just that bad. As Dolphins fans, we know that that might just be the case. But I, I'm I was surprised to hear that he wanted out to begin with, only because it seemed like they were on the way to getting something done. Um, so I mean, if, it, it's got to be Gase. I, I, yeah, I it's got to be Gase, right? Because if you look at his record with the Dolphins, all the talented players in Miami wanted to leave too, and he and he just shipped them off. Whether whether Regardless of what he could get from, he just got rid of every single one of them that was talented. So, it, it has to be something about Gase and his the way he runs the team. Um, right? Yeah, the way he runs the team. He just uh, he never just seems out there for to... a paycheck, man. Just out there yeah. for a paycheck. What was that? Yeah, was, that's. I remember that quote was so funny. He doesn't have that rapport with the with the team that other coaches do, you know. And he doesn't have the respect of a of a Bill Belichick to be that kind of, you right. know that kind of guy you know once you start winning you could run a team that way if you want to run a team right. that way but when you've made the playoffs right. once and you did it you know in your first and you haven't done it since i 
you know, you, you just haven't you haven't earned that yet. You haven't earned the right to be that way with your players yet. And so maybe maybe it's not maybe it's not the reason. You know, we're not in the locker room, we don't know. But when sure. you're looking at the reasons to stay in New York, which are many, uh, it's it is definitely a little bit surprising and it seems like you might want to start pointing fingers that way. Very questionable, I agree. I hate to be transitioning us to a new topic this way, but you know, we're surmising that the NFL sort of gets going at all this season and there's been recent talks, especially in the last week about that being a little bit more logistically difficult or perhaps impossible. Um, NFL players and staff members tested positive for coronavirus this week. An anonymous 49ers player, a Bucks assistant coach tested positive. I think Ezekiel Elliott tested positive. Um, so there's obviously been a lot of discussion around that. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, actually came out and said that it would behoove the NFL to sort of emulate the bubble format uh, like the NBA is doing, or in fact consider not playing in 2020. I think that this is really, really interesting for football. I think it's actually sort of a very interesting time in Roger Goodell's career to have to sort of make this call. When we talk about how Adam Silver has handled this situation, it's sort of been universally applauded as being very careful, timely, cognizant of what's going on, and creating a solution that while some players, as we've seen in the NBA, are not happy with, albeit for some similar reasons and some different reasons entirely, it's been it's been really really well handled. Of course, football is different in a lot of ways. It's uh, far more logistically taxing given the amount of people on a roster. There's far more physical contact in football. It's played outdoors. There's a lot of different factors here. And as we're getting towards sort of when the season starts to get slowly ramping up, the conversation has changed a lot from a few months ago because the world hasn't unfortunately changed all that much regarding this pandemic. So Guys, I'm just sort of curious, you know, we talked about this a few months ago. I can't believe it's been that long since we started, but has your perspective changed at all in terms of what the NFL should do? Are you now sort of more leaning towards taking, you know, much heavier precautions, sort of the monk-like existence we expect for NBA players? Are you, in fact, considering not having the season go at all? You know, the other difference with basketball, of course, is it's a very short end of the season. It's the playoffs, and then it's done by, like, October 11th. The NFL is expecting to go on for a full season and postseason. So there, there's a lot of considerations here. I'm just curious if your perspective has changed, and if so, in what way has it changed? So I would actually – I want to say my perspective has not changed, but obviously uh, anyone who listens to the show can go back and determine whether or not I'm talking out of my butt when I say that. Um, but I, I've always had at least the mindset that the NFL needs to remember that when when you look at soccer stadiums, when you look at basketball arenas – Right, the, these places don't seat the same amount of human beings as football stadiums do. Right, football stadiums generally have larger fan bases that that attend the games. So there's a there's a higher risk of somebody getting sick. And you know, I, I think I think the NFL, you know, has still has some time, right, where they can ultimately make a decision. The season's not going to start next week, uh, and they're not in the same situation as baseball or basketball, where they are midseason or just about to kick off their season where they had to make a decision quickly about what they're going to do. The good thing for Goodell is that he has a little bit more time to make this decision, but at the end of the day, the players have to be able to be healthy and the and they have to be able to protect the fans, you know? This is yes, it's played outdoors, but I mean, we've all been to football games. There's a lot of you're in a close space a lot of the time, and especially when people start, you know, having the fun of of the tailgating side of things, people's um, you know, they get a little bit closer to other human beings. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if, if you can't protect your fans, you need to 
consider that bubble approach um, and and focus on making sure that you do everything you can to protect the players because you know the worst case scenario is if somebody gets sick and dies from this right and if you're a, a play just imagine the lawsuits that could develop for these NFL organizations if if somebody gets sick and then passes away that's that would be awful for the NFL as a whole and you know that Roger Goodell's thinking about it so my perspective I think has been and always will be if it's safe play if it's not consider you know no fans and then if that's still not safe then maybe we ha- we should pause the season because nobody should die uh from this yeah I, I've, I've thought you know along very much the same lines as what you're saying there for 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 the past couple months in terms of what they, the the plan that they should do, but I think I've always thought also over the past couple of months, like, oh, we still got time, you know, it's it's still a ways away, but as we're getting closer, it seems like things are getting worse, you know, like now that people are starting to train again together, NFL players, now that the the, the state home rules have been lifted a bit, now it seems like a lot of people are 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 starting to contract it in the NFL community specifically. You know, we're talking about the some of the Cowboys players, the Texans players, the 49ers players. Uh, Broncos players it seems like it's really going around and and you know we're seeing the same thing in the NHL we're seeing the same thing in the NBA um and so and college football too, and college football yeah we were talking about that before the show that at Clemson like 20 plus players now have it so it, it seems like just as they're starting to ramp things up things are getting worse because they're starting to open stuff so it, it really is going to come down to whether or not they're able to say if someone gets it because someone will probably get it, it you know it's, we're not that far away at this point. So come August when the preseason starts in September, when games start to be played and players are running into each other and there are hundreds of staff members in the, the arena. Forget fans. Even just the staff members of the teams, someone's going to get it. And so they have to be able to be in a position where they can say, we have a plan where if someone gets it, we don't have to shut everything down. And if that's not the case, like it's not, then it's not even a question anymore. They're, they're going to have to postpone. And I'm really obviously hoping as a huge football fan that that doesn't happen. And I'm sure that they're starting to come to some plans in place. But it's more likely than not that not one, not two, but dozens of people will contract it unless they do some sort of, like the NBA, some sort of like, you know, bubble type scenario. But I don't know how you do that. Like, the number of staff and players on an NBA team is so much smaller, and the arenas that you have to play in are obviously so much smaller. Like, is that even viable in a football, in a football world? Like, can you do that? A, a bubble type scenario? Like, I don't it, know. it would be. It would be. I think much trickier um, because you'd need to, because traveling is still going to present the same problems, right? So you you would need to find. I was just thinking about this. Like, where could the bubble be set up, right? Because if you look at Major League Soccer, if you look at the NBA. Uh, they're all playing all their stuff in Orlando because that's a very nice centralized location. You've got a lot of space where pe- players can, you know, stay in hotels and all these different things. But that's also a significantly condensed season as well. So you'd have to condense the football season uh, into a much smaller. Uh, well, I guess that's what just condensed means. So I'm not going to explain it. But you condense the season, right? And but but then you run the risk of having more injury, right? So basketball players can play three games a week without having that same risk of injuries. Football players cannot, right? We see what kind of product we get when you move from Sunday to Thursday night games. It's it's a it's a not as good of a product, and players generally get injured. So you don't have that same freedom. So you're talking about six months living in upstate New York because they've got a couple of stadiums up there or something, and that that's also complicated, right? So it, it I. 
I don't know what the right answer is. I, I Okay, I think we all know what the right answer is. The right answer is the NFL should do whatever it can to make sure people are safe and nobody gets sick. That's the right answer. How that looks is obviously still incredibly up in the air. The biggest point is the timing of it to me. Like when we look at the NBA, we're talking about players who are up in arms is too strong a word, but they're definitely concerned about the possibility of being away from friends, family, loved ones from sort of the very end of August to potentially for the best teams, the middle of October. The NFL season is far longer than that. It's also, in a lot of ways, you know, far more strenuous in terms of injury concern, in terms of care for players. And so, unless we're talking about having a short season, I don't think I don't think the possibility for the NFL exists that you play games Monday and then Friday of every week. I don't think like players' bodies can handle that. So then, do you play six games or eight games, and then how do you deal with seeding in the playoffs? Like. To, to expect players to be going from August to February or January, whatever it is, um, alone is probably pretty infeasible. So it's just, it, it's getting to a point now where it's sort of complicated in that, like, how do you measure the risk reward? Like, we're talking about everything from player safety to TV deals to, like, new contracts for the next year. Like, it's just getting very complicated. So. It's going to be very interesting to see how the NFL and Roger Goodell handle this. You know, as I said in the beginning of, of this portion of the podcast, um, Roger Goodell, in a lot of different ways, has come under fire over his tenure, or during his tenure, rather, as the commissioner. And it's going to be interesting to see if this can sort of be an, uh, you know, a positive chapter in his history. Because, you know, as we see, this is a very trying time for leaders of sports leagues and world leaders. It's trying for everybody. But we've seen success stories with the likes of Adam Silver. We've seen commissioners who can make the best out of a really poor situation. So it's going to be interesting to see how he handles this and sort of how this um, how this adds to his story as the commissioner of the NFL. It's going to be fascinating, I think. And if nobody has anything else, I'll take us into the meat of our podcast, which is the Divisional Breakdown Series. I can't believe we're in our final division. And I also can't believe, I've said this, I think I've said this every week, that every division looks super strong, and the NFC South is no exception. So, what we're going to do is have Nick Justin and myself take us through some draft picks. Uh, we're going to talk about free agency moves. We're going to talk about sort of the perspective for this year, if and only if it happens, and we certainly hope it does. And then we're going to get into our rankings before our weekly wild card question of the day. So, Nick, please start us off with the Atlanta Falcons. So, yeah, you already said it, but and it seems to be a recurring theme that these divisions just seem to get ultra competitive. Um, but this one, there's just something different about it because there's such a historic nature to some of the quarterbacks that find themselves in this in this division, right? You've got two quarterbacks in this division that are – uh, guys that historically are going to go down as some of the greatest ever. Uh, so let's start with somebody who's really good, but I don't know if he's right there. We'll start with Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons, right? So the Falcons coming off uh, a season where they were second in the division, um, you know, obviously they had they had that Super Bowl run a few years ago, and they really haven't been able to kind of duplicate that um, success. Uh, and a lot of it stems from their um, a lot of cap issues that they've really had. Um, you know, they've they've struggled with the cap. They've had to cut players like Desmond Trufant and Devontae Freeman because of uh, the the money problems that they've had. So they've had to lose some uh, some talented players. Right, their secondary is a bit of a mess. Um, you know, losing Trufant, they did go out and get. Um, 
Oh my goodness, I'm blanking on his name. AJ Terrell from from Clemson with their with their pick uh, in the first round. So that'll that'll definitely help them, but I don't know if it's going to solve their problems in the secondary. Um, you know, Matt Ryan is still a very good quarterback. Julio Jones is still a uh, a top five receiver in the game. They add Todd Gurley, which is obviously the a, a very interesting move right because you don't know what you're going to get if you're going to get the girly from a few years ago then that's a great move if it's if you're going to get the girly from last year then who you know you don't know how it's going to help um they also got hayden hurst which is a was kind of a bit of an underrated move they lost austin hooper in um in free agency they end up getting hayden hurst who was you know has been for the last couple of years a, a quality tight end and you don't have to pay um that the, the money that you had to pay or that Cleveland played for Austin Hooper. Their offensive line is still pretty solid, um, you know, with guys like Alex Mack, Chris Lindstrom, Jake Matthews. It's a solid offensive line. Uh, the question is, are they going to be able to stop anybody? Um, so defensively, it's going to be a, a, a question mark. You know, like I said, they cut Desmond Trufant. Uh, Vic Beasley's gone, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing. Adrian Claiborne is gone. They bring in Dante Fowler, who, you know, had a decent year, had a good year last year. Not decent. He had a good year last year, but he also hasn't strung together years like that in the past, right? He had 11 and a half sacks last year. And then, you know, you see a couple years of four sacks, four sacks, two sacks. You have one eight sack year. So you don't really know what you're getting with him. You paid a lot of money for him. So the Falcons are kind of in this this weird spot where they might be able to compete offensively with some of the other teams out there in the NFC South. But I don't know if they're going to be able to stop those teams. And that's where I think the, the difference is going to be between the Falcons and then the Saints and the Bucks, because everyone's going to be able to score. It's just who's going to be able to stop the other team first. And I just they don't have the pieces defensively to stop other teams at this point. And unfortunately, you know, we got two months till the season kicks off. So I don't know if they're going to find that right away. I mean, the story of the Falcons for the past couple of years since their their 28 to 3 breakdown in the Super Bowl has been um, you know, untapped potential, just being unable to live up to the talent on the roster and the hopes of, of what this team had after that run. You're right. The offense is still, I think, very exciting. I mean, Julio Jones is a Hall of Fame player, and despite the fact that he's over 30, he's still playing at that level. Um, the I think the Hayden Hurst move was, was, was a really nice move for the Falcons, avoiding paying Austin Hooper the money he got while being able to bring in a first-round talent um, who's just been a little bit overshadowed by a couple tight ends there, um, I think was a solid move. And Calvin Ridley is, is, a, is a wide receiver one potential kind of guy. Matt Ryan's still playing at a good level, and the offensive line is pretty strong. Um, it's not what it was for that Super Bowl run, but it's still pretty strong. The defense, it's funny. Like, you look at the names on there. You look at guys like Dante Fowler, who had a ton of hype. You look at guys like Tack McKinley, who was our first-round pick and hasn't played like it yet. You look at guys like Keanu Neal, who, when he's playing, is really good, but just doesn't play very often because he's always hurt. There, there's so many, there's so much talent, but no one's living up to it, and that's the problem. And you're totally right. When you're looking at two other teams in the division in the the Saints and the Bucks, who, at this point with the talent all over those rosters and the quality of those coaching staffs look like juggernauts. It's just, it's, it's really unfortunate for Atlanta fans and for this Atlanta team, because unless for some reason, Dan Quinn, who I really like as a coach is able to put everything together all of a sudden out of nowhere this year. Um, it doesn't look like they're really going anywhere. And next year, their cap space is just, it's still a mess. They have, they have, right. According to over the cap, I have it up right now. They have $59,000 in cap space next year. That's not a lot of money in the NFL, and so, so they can bu- basically hire a teacher. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the, it's so it, it's it's really unfortunate because I there are a lot of reasons to be hopeful, 
but there are more reasons to to say that it's just not going to work out for the Falcons this year. So or I, I have soon. a question for you, Justin and Trevor as well. Do we think that the the window of opportunity has closed on the Falcons? Because I think it has. Yes. At this point, I think it's I think it's over. They I had their shot for the last couple of years, that. and they blew it, right? Because Matt Ryan's going in. He's 34 years old. It's not like he's a spring chicken anymore. Uh, Julio Jones is aging. Todd Gurley, you don't know what you're going to get. I just think that this, unfortunately, they ran out of their window closed. They gambled, right? We talk about this every week. If you gamble on on the now, you, you kind of screw your future up, right? And... They, they gambled on the what was like a few years ago, and now their windows, I think, closed because they can't compete with some of these other teams that they'd have to run to, not run into, not just in their division, but in the rest of the NFL. I think, I, I, you know what? I, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the psychology of things, but I think that 28-3 debacle in the Super Bowl, after that game, in spite of the talent, and I know hindsight is twenty twenty, so it's not fair to make this claim as, oh, I would have known then. I think the window closed right then and there. I think you have a team that was absolutely stacked, that had all the goods to win a Super Bowl, was going to win a Super Bowl, and collapsed. And I I don't think there's any coming back from that. And I mean, we've seen that manifest in the last couple of years because the team has been good. Matt Ryan is an excellent quarterback. Julio Jones is an all-star receiver. They've had, they've had pieces. They've had a coach who I actually really like. Um, couldn't remember his name as well. Justin mentioned it a couple minutes ago, but I think he's been an excellent coach, and I think they've they've been in position to win games, to make pushes, especially in a division that up until this year was really only a two horse race, which is actually quite interesting. As we're going to talk about the Panthers next, which I think is another team that since their sort of Super Bowl loss has also taken a tremendous step back and had a window close as well. It's very interesting. We talk about these two teams in the same division, how they parallel each other, and I think. The Falcons, by by a pretty discernible distance, were, in terms of talent, better than the Panthers in their Super Bowl run. I just think there was more talent spread around the field. But I want to, if it's cool with Justin, I don't know if you had anything more to say because I can't see you on the Zoom. Um, I want to transition to the Panthers because I think, I think it's fascinating to look at teams who make their Super Bowl runs, as Nick was just articulating. We talked about this, I think, last week or two weeks ago with the Rams. Going all in. Things not working out, and then the whole thing just implodes, especially with a team like the Falcons that are strapped for cash. But moving over to the Panthers, we're going to get into Cam Newton in a minute because he's our favorite thing to talk about on this podcast. But before we get there, I think the Panthers actually had a really good draft. They went completely defensive. If I'm not mistaken, every player was a defensive player. Um, they drafted defensive tackle Derek Brown. Uh, they drafted Penn State defensive end Yator Grossmatos. Um, and then the eight of the secondary um, with Jeremy Chin in the third round. They can still use some help at the guard position and the tight end position, but I think this was a really good draft for them. And I think just taking it a step back further, I really like the hiring of head coach Matt Rule. You know, Matt Rule has been known from his stints at Temple and Baylor to take teams who weren't very good and build them into something good. Um, both of those teams went to consecutive bowl appearances uh, in his last two seasons at each respective team. But I'm not so sure that that's a good thing for Carolina this year because you have the draft and then you have, I have activating Siri right now, you have the draft in terms of defense, which addressed a lot of needs. And then you take Teddy Bridgewater from from, uh, the Saints, which I actually liked as a signing in a sort of temporary move for them. What I don't like as we get closer to the season and as I look at what the Panthers need long term is what it does to their prospects going forward in terms of quarterback. You know, the Panthers are a team 
that are potentially in a really good position to go after a guy like a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields. But now that we've had Cam Newton move on, who obviously wasn't the answer with the new regime, now that you've brought in Teddy Bridgewater and you've bolstered the defense, this is a team that's not going to lose 14 games. It's not likely. This is a team that's probably going to end up in the middle of the pack. And while that's nice for the fans, and it's nice for the now in terms of Carolina still being sort of involved in, in this division and in the NFL, doesn't look very good for what they need long-term, which is their next quarterback. I really like Teddy Bridgewater. I loved what he did in, in New Orleans. I, I've sort of liked him throughout his career. He sort of shows flashes of, of definitely bubble starter potential. Um, but he's not the answer long term. And so I'm just, I'm a little bit concerned for them going forward because I really, I think that this hamstrings them in terms of what they're going to be able to draft next year from getting their guy. Now, does that mean in two or three years there's not going to be another Trevor Lawrence or a Tua or whoever that they like? Maybe, maybe not. But I think that this year they've put themselves in a position to win more games than they should. And I know the NFL is a league more than any that you win every game you can. It's not like basketball where teams tank. It's not even really possible in football. Um, But I'm not sure that I think this was the best long-term solution for the team. So I'm excited to watch them this year. Uh, I want to get into Cam a little bit later uh, as part of our wildcard question. But I I think it's going to be interesting for them this year, especially in a division that's this strong. See, I I actually... I don't see it the same way you do when it comes to Carolina because I think, yes, they they probably have gotten themselves into a position where they won't get a Trevor Lawrence next year or a Justin Fields next year. But I don't. I think Teddy Bridgewater is so much better than people give him credit for, and I think he's going to really help this team out. Um, and and he might be the solution for them. He's only 27 years old, right? And before his major knee inju- injury in, in Minnesota, everyone was kind of already saying that he was going to be a, a franchise-caliber guy. And he proved that, you know, listen, the only reason he didn't start last year was because Drew Brees was in front of him, and not many people are going to overtake Drew Brees for a, a starting role, right? So, you know, I think Bridgewater is actually going to help this team. I don't think they need to worry about Lawrence or Fields or a quarterback next year. I think as assuming Bridgewater can stay healthy i think he's he's gonna really help this team out in a matt rule offense i think it's gonna be good for carolina so as i said i do i do like bridgewater a lot and i think he has a lot of potential and especially before that that i think it was a knee injury as you said um and he was solid filling in for drew Brees. but we have to remember that he filled in for drew Brees on a pretty stacked saints team and i think if you if you inserted any of the sort of bubble starter quarterbacks on a saints roster um or on a Chiefs roster, or on a really, really strong team, you're going to have some good games. Now, I think he won all six games that he was in. He played really well. He had good decision-making, but he was very conservative under center. Um, He had the lowest, I'm going to read a couple of statistics, the lowest average depth of target, 6.1 yards, and the lowest rate of pass attempts over 10 yards. And so when we're looking at stretching the field, it's obviously not something he does a whole lot. Um, and I also, I'm just not sure that at 27, once he gets sort of integrated into the offense, to so say a year or two, has some weapons around him. Obviously, CMC is an exceptional talent, um, but they do need some help with the tight end position, especially with Greg Olson having departed. I'm not sure with a team that is a good, decent team, he's going to play nearly as well as he would with a team that was excellent in New Orleans. And if you draft a quarterback next year you have five or six years to really hit their stride. Whereas with Teddy Bridgewater, you don't have that luxury of time. Not really. I mean, in a league that certainly having quarterbacks play longer, but with a quarterback who's uh, 
playstyle is also predicated on movement and athleticism, I'm not sure that he's going to have that same success long-term with Carolina. But I certainly hope he does, because I love watching him play, and I think he can actually be a really good talent in the NFL. I think... I think I'm sort of in the middle of where the two of you are. You know, Trevor, you brought up the fact that if they didn't bring in Teddy Bridgewater, maybe they'd be closer to being able to draft the Trevor Lawrence. But it, it's funny It's funny you bring that up, and you brought up tanking a little bit there too. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, Bill Polian, who was the general manager of the Colts in the Andrew Luck-Peyton Manning transition, was on the Pat McAfee show. And they were talking about that season where the, where the Colts sort of like tanked their way or, or sucked for luck as, as it was put back then. And they were talking about how, you know, Pat McAfee having been in the locker room and Bill Pullian having been in the front office, no one in the, enti- in the entire organization was even thinking about, like, getting Andrew Luck then. They, they were, I mean, Peyton Manning was their quarterback up until, like, August when they realized that he couldn't play that season. They were expecting to win. And even going into the season without Peyton Manning, they were expecting to win, all, like, as, as many games as they possibly could and obviously not as many without Manning, but they certainly weren't looking to go 1-15. And I really don't think any general manager, and you look at you look at what happened with the Dolphins this, se- this season, even when they stripped all the talent, I really don't think anyone in a football organization truly thinks they're going to lose out for, for a potential quarterback. Maybe the general manager in the back of his mind is thinking, wouldn't it be cool if I can draft Trevor Lawrence? But I, I just, I don't think that, that that's a thought process. That being said, is it right that they do that or right that they don't do it? Should they be trying to get that franchise quarterback to turn around their future? Maybe. But I, I really think the Carolina Panthers. I agree with you. I don't think I don't think they're doing it on purpose. Right. I do think that Teddy Bridgewater gives them a better chance sure. to win than Kyle Allen does. And so when I look at it from that perspective, I just I agree with you, especially in in a league where I mean everybody's playing for their job every single week, right? And there isn't this sort of understood. I mean, in basketball, it's sort of understood that people tank for players, um, such that the the NBA has actually had to change how they have drafts go to mitigate that risk. I don't think anybody would be doing it on purpose. I do think, and I, in fact, to your point, I think the GM in Carolina, I'm not sure who that is, has put them in the best position to win this year, which is which is their job, right? I'm just, I'm not sure long-term, and I'm not saying they should have done it differently. I'm just not sure long-term that it's best for the team when I look at it holistically. But I totally agree with you. I don't think any general manager is looking at it and saying we should lose games this year. We saw that with the Dolphins last year. Um, with a team that wasn't even very good and still managed to win five games and get to us. So we can see it work out any number of ways. Um, it's going to be very, very what interesting. What I did really sure like, though, about this Panthers draft, and then I'll transition over to the Saints, and this Panthers offseason really, is they bring in, in, in Matt Rule, who transformed this Baylor defense into something very impressive. And they said Matt Rule is able to get the best out of his defensive players. That's what he's been able to do in his college career. Um, and that's what they want him to be able to do in the NFL as well. And they just stacked that side of the ball. They even brought in one of his one of his Baylor defensive tackles there. Um, and I, I'm, I'm excited that they had a plan. You know, I said this about the Broncos when they had their draft on. You know, they stacked the offense. I said this about a couple teams now. They had a plan, and they stuck to it. And I think that that's going to eventually pay dividends for them. When you don't alter off course just because of a uh, of a guy you might see on the board that you're like oh I mean, you have a plan and you stick to it um, it generally um, it generally pays better dividends than when you you know reach for a positional need let's say um, and and I'm I'm excited that they did that and moving over to the Saints they kind of did the exact same thing not necessarily in sticking to a positional side of the ball but they are very openly acknowledging the fact that. Drew Brees' window is, there, there's just a year or two left in that window, and they are going absolutely all in. Um, and even though the Bucks are sort of coming in as, as, as a contender uh, for that divisional crown as well, 
the Saints understand what they have on this roster and they're doing everything to make sure that they're able to make that one last Super Bowl run after the consecutive unlucky years that they've had in the playoffs. You know, they, they finally bring in a very capable wide receiver too to compliment Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, one of my favorite moves of the offseason. Um, they lost a couple of guys in the offseason. They lost Von Bell and uh, Eli Apple in the secondary, and they lost A.J. Klein at the linebacker position. But they very well mitigated those losses in bringing in Malcolm Jenkins, who, yes, is on the back nine of his career, but is still playing really solid football and better football than Von Bell played last year um, to replace him at the safety position. They said, listen, we have a stacked O-line, but we want to protect you, Brees, so we're going to stack it even more. And they brought in uh, Cesar Ruiz uh, out of Michigan. He might not even play center because they drafted Aaron McCoy last year, who was very good, so you could slot him into guard if you need to. Uh, Cesar Ruiz, and they brought in Zach Bond, who maybe not right away, but will eventually replace probably A.J. Klein at the linebacker position. And then they even they even brought in Jameis Winston. They're like, let's stack the offense even more and bring in uh, what probably was now one of the best backups in the NFL for like a million dollars, one of the... I don't even know how they got Jameis Winston to say that he'll take one of the lowest backup contracts um, in the entire NFL right now. He's clearly hoping that he can Teddy Bridgewater uh, his career there in New Orleans. I, I just I like everything about this offseason, everything about the offseason. They kept Andrews Pete, who was uh, vital to that running game. And they kept David on uh, Onyemata, who was vital to that run defense. Uh, they, they pretty much just did everything right. And so I'm really excited to see if Drew Brees can finally finally make it to the Super Bowl again um, and get one last uh, trophy in this trophy case. So instead of instead of commenting on the Saints, I'm going to propose that we kind of audible a little bit here in, you know, go for in the name of football. And instead, I'm going to I'm going to go through the Bucks very quickly. And then I think we should talk a little bit about these two teams, because these two teams are basically built the same way to score a crap ton of points to protect their quarterbacks. And one of them has to come out on top in terms of the division. All right. So let's talk about the Bucks and then we'll talk about them together. Okay. so obviously, you know, the big signing of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady moving on from New England, thankfully, uh, and going to bother somebody else for a few years. Um, signing that two-year, fifty million dollar contract. Um, you know, when you look at when you look at the New Orleans Saints, right, and their offensive roster, right, the only one that you could, I feel, in the in the NFL that really rivals them, almost almost player for player, has got to be the Bucks, right? That's got to be one of the best rivalry offenses on paper, right? Because you got Tom Brady starting. You've still got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, two of the most explosive receivers in the game. You add Rob Gronkowski to to a tight end group that already had O.J. Howard. Now, O.J. Howard has obviously been um, a bit of a letdown in terms of, you know, the expectations that he was he had coming out of Alabama. Um, but still, you know, you, him and Gronkowski are going to make for a pretty solid tight end duo there, right? And that's one thing that uh, Tom Brady was really, uh, that's when he was really effective, was when he had two very capable tight ends uh, up there in New England, right? They bring in Tristan Wirfs in the draft, which was a great move because Tom Brady's obviously old. He's You're going to want to protect him. They bring in Minnesota safety Antoine Winfield to shore up the, the back end. They bring in a couple of other backup pieces uh, in the draft as well. Uh, in terms of the free agency, you know, like we said, obviously the whole uh, Tom Brady thing is the big the big thing to really focus on because it automatically makes them a playoff contender, right? They they bring in or they re-sign Shaq Barrett who had uh, 19 and a half sacks last season. Uh, hopefully he can continue to do that. They bring back Jason Pierre-Paul who can help add some pressure uh, on that side of the ball. I, I think that the Bucks are the Bucks and the Saints. They present this this um, 
you know, this rivalry that's going into this season that's probably really unmatched by any other rivalry that we see in the rest of these divisions because these are two teams that obviously have a history and now you throw in you you throw Tom Brady into the mix, right? And you have two of the historically great quarterbacks going at it twice a year, right? This this is going to be a matchup that is going to be so exciting to watch throughout the entirety and these uh, of the 2020 season. And it's going to be exciting to watch them against everybody that they have to play against because you know that when the season comes to its end, there's going to be such a fine difference between these two teams, right? So we, we have to, you know, it's, it's going to be, we, we say this every week, that it's going to be the most competitive division in football. There is no doubt in my mind that the, 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 the Bucks and the Saints are going to be the most competitive one-two pairing of any division we've talked about so far. Yeah, when it comes to comparing these two teams, one thing that immediately comes to mind, obviously, is the fact that Drew Brees knows the Saints system, he's been in the Sean Payton forever, and we know that the Saints are going to work. We don't necessarily know that with Brady and Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians has a very different offensive system um, than what Brady has gotten used to running in his 20 years in New England, and certainly his last bunch with Josh McDaniels. It's more about like airing the ball out deep. It's more about taking shots and taking risks, and we saw that that didn't manifest super well with Jameis Winston, but it's manifested very well with many other quarterbacks that, that Bruce Arians has coached. That said, it's not necessarily a huge concern to me, um, just because these are two of the brightest minds in football in Brady and Arians, and I'm sure that they have already figured out how they're going to meld their sort of skills, talents, and systems together. Um, and, and then when you look at the rosters, you were, you're right, and you said that they're built very similarly. Um, they're stacked in very similar places. I'm excited about both of these defenses. The offensive lines are both pretty solid, and I, I think New Orleans might have the edge there. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's a lot to like about both teams, and I really think that if at the end, it's going to come down to who beats each other in in their in their head-to-head matchups in terms of who takes the crown. I completely agree with you. I think it's going to be who wins in their matchups that changes it because I think I think they both have the tools, barring anything crazy. And you know, the NFL can uh, obviously flip everything on its head very quickly. Um, the chances of them being effective teams against the other teams in their division, the Falcons or the Panthers, are very high. Right? It comes down to their records against one another. And I agree with you. I think if you have to give one an edge, I think you have to give that edge to the Saints just because they're returning the most important players, right? The band is back together for them as opposed to the band just got a new front man in Tampa Bay, right? So it's it's I think the edge has to slightly go to them. And we have to also consider the world that we live in. And we talk about this weekly as well. Yes, Brady is one of the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, going into a system that Bruce Arians has shown he knows how to get the best out of his players, but they still have to practice things together in order to be effective. And because of COVID, because they can't get in the training facilities and in the practice fields and doing all those things as much as they would like to, I would I think it's safe to expect that there might be a slight, not a huge, but a slight hiccup in the early part of the season as they still come, as everybody kind of still goes through the process of gelling together. And that's why I think the Saints slightly edge out the Bucks because they don't need that same adjustment period that the Buccaneers would need going into the season. So if we go into your rankings, we're putting the Saints ahead of the Bucks, obviously at one and two, and then what do we have for three and four? It, then I would put the Falcons and the Panthers because I think the Panthers just still have a lot to prove. Uh, the Falcons uh, both really have a lot to prove. If you want to be honest, I just think the infrastructure is more. Uh, 
it might not be the greatest infrastructure that's established, but it is a little bit more established with the Falcons than it is with the Panthers, right? Same reasons that you could, that I just said that the Bucks might have a little bit of a hiccup. You could expect the same level, the same slight hiccup with the Panthers as well. New coach, new quarterback, new weapons, all those fun things. So I think it would go Saints, Bucks, Falcons, Panthers, but those top two, I do not, like I could see both of them finishing the season 12 and four without, without really much of an issue. Easily 12 and 4. It's just one of them is going to lose to the other one, and that's going to be the difference maker. As much as I want to say something different, do uh, you know, shake things up, I, I think I'd have the exact same rankings, only because uh, very much the same reasons you've said. So, listen, there are, there are more question marks on the Buccaneers team than there are on the Saints team, although not very many question marks. Actually, the first one that came to mind to me was the running game. The Saints uh, have a very strong running game with a great interior offensive line and one of the best running backs in the game in Alvin Kamara and one of the best backup running backs in the game or, or uh, sort of one two the number two punch in, in Latavius Murray. Um, and the Bucks haven't had a strong running game recently, and, and that's that's been important in Brady's career to complement. So, you know, that's another question mark there. When it comes to Falcons and Panthers, I also have the Falcons at three and the and the Panthers at four. I, like I said, I really like the hiring of Matt Rule. Uh, he was he did great things as an offensive coordinator in his college career. He also did great things on the defensive side of the ball, especially with Baylor uh, last year. But you don't know how that's going to fit yet. There, uh, again, sort of same reason that I have the Saints over the Bucks, that I uh, that I have the Falcons over the Panthers. There are more question marks that we don't know yet on the Panthers, and that Falcons team is just really talented. They haven't put it together, but on paper at least they're pretty talented. So that's uh, that's how I have it: Saints, Bucks, Falcons, Panthers. And as with Every week that we do this breakdown series, I will be shaking it up for the fun of it, and because I do see this going a little bit differently, but I want to have a quick proviso before I go into it. I do have the Bucks ahead of the Saints. That is not what I think is going to happen come playoff time. I don't think that that will stand as the season wanes. So my, my big, big caveat is I think for some reason I have this feeling the Bucks are going to get off to a bit of a hotter start just because of all of sort of the hype and the excitement um, but as you guys said, the teams are constructed very similarly, and Justin put it perfectly at the very end, in terms of the running game with the Saints. I see as the season wanes, we see the running game become sort of, not less important, but running backs get tired, they have more tread on the tires. But there's a better running game in New Orleans than there is in Tampa. And so because of that, as the season progresses, I still see Tampa Bay edging it out as the season sort of comes to an end. But I certainly see the Saints having longer legs in the playoffs. We saw Brady last year uh, with New England, both on, I think at the last game uh, against Miami they lost, and then of course they lost uh, against uh, the Titans. I, I don't see Brady having the same playoff success this year. I see them having much more regular season success. Um, and I just see the Saints, I, I think I'm speaking from the heart here and that I really would like the Saints to go all the way and win the Super Bowl, so I do see them sort of taking it very far in the playoffs, but I see the Bucks taking it in the regular season. So Bucks one, Saints two. I have the Panthers at three, mostly because I have no trust in the Falcons. I think after that Super Bowl loss, I just don't, I don't see them doing a whole lot of anything this year, in spite of the fact that the system is a lot more gelled, in spite of the fact that Matt Ryan is obviously a better and more proven quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater. I just think that Teddy Bridgewater is coming off of a very, very good season. I think he's going to have a fire lit under him, and I just think that with the hiring of Matt Rule, with the way the defense will be constructed, I think it's going to be very close, um, but I think that the Panthers are going to edge out the Falcons, and I think I think we're going to see the Falcons very soon start to sort of begin a complete and total rebuild. I think it's it's one of the unfortunate stories you see with both both Matthews, Matt Stafford and Matt Ryan, teams that unfortunately were just not able to make it happen. 
and um, I think that both, I know we're not talking about the Lions, but I certainly think that the Falcons are going to be sort of in that, in that um, sort of rebuilding phase. So we're now at a point where we have finished all of our divisions, which is super exciting and crazy, and we're sort of now also in, in the midst of the summer NFL season. So what, what I think Justin and, and Nick and I have sort of agreed upon is that we would love, along with some questions this week on our Pick Up the Blitz Twitter, if you guys can field some suggestions as to what you'd like to hear after the Around the Gridiron segment. We already have a couple of ideas that we're batting around, but it'd be really fun if we could sort of engage you guys and see what you're interested in, in going through and analyzing, just so we can keep sort of the momentum going uh, through the summer. Um, and if nobody has anything else, I would love to get into our wildcard question of the day, which is going to be football-related. I know they're almost never football-related, but we haven't talked about Cam yet, and now I, I really, really feel like I have to because on Thursday I was watching Get Up, and there was a segment with Marcus Spears and Dominique Foxworth, and they were talking about Cam. They were specifically talking about how Cam has been working out with OBJ in the last few days. And the prompt was asked whether or not the, um, the Browns should consider taking Baker off the team or seating him for Cam Newton at the starting role. Now, this is something I had never heard. I, had, I didn't know this was something even people were thinking about. But I thought it was really interesting, especially considering both ESPN commentators thought they should, in fact, bring Cam on and have him start this year. So I would love to hear what your feedback is on this. I, I, I think that's a little ridiculous. But I also think that there are some certain certain exciting elements to that. You know, I think we can all agree that at Cam's height, at a fully healthy Cam Newton, he's better than a Baker Mayfield, at least right now, but Baker's only been in the league for a couple of years. So I think it's a bit of a, a bit of an odd comparison, but I'd love to hear what you guys think on, on that sort of piece of news that came out a couple of days ago. No. <laughs> also, no. I just, like, no. no. It makes no Nothing. sense. And it, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I didn't it think makes so, no but sense. I thought maybe I was missing something. You know something. there's not just, a lot going sure. on in the sports world when that's what's being right. discussed on television because come on like i have to tell you though i agree with you i agree however they were it, it didn't look to me like it was sort of um a topic for the sake of having something to talk about they looked really serious about it i was shocked at just how convinced they seemed that cam was the answer and it's what seemed to me to be like sort of the long-term answer in cleveland i was very very surprised that it makes absolutely so, no sense to me because it basically right? just says all that rebuilding that you wanted to do in Cleveland, you just flush it down the toilet and go get Cam Newton. Yeah. Right? That makes no sense. And Baker right, because they're not a win now roster. Hasn't done even if you plug to, him in. to lose his starting spot yet. No, I, I, no it's sort of it's his third year. Give him a break. It's almost like a, a, a fu- it's like something you do on Madden. Like you bring in Cam, just to see him in a Browns like, uniform. It'd be interesting to see exactly. Right. Yeah. Like right. for fun. But okay. like, Baker, listen, former first overall pick. He's only he's only two years in. And he did some pretty damn good things his rookie year. It's, uh, you got give him a fair shot. You can't pull. Yeah, you can't pull him. No, out. you can't. No. Next year. Now next year, if he sucks, that's a different conversation. But right now, no, absolutely not. Cool. Okay, that was fun and uh, certainly going to be interesting for Cam. I think it's it's what they did articulate and what I think is very important to note is it's 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 not often that we have a quarterback of Cam's caliber and potential uh, ceiling on the free agent market for this long. So it's certainly going to be interesting to see where he lands in the future. I do not think Cleveland is the answer to that question. Uh, they were also saying that maybe it would be good to bring him in to sort of light a fire under Baker's under Baker. I I don't I don't necessarily think that's a good idea either. I don't think that provides good locker room chemistry, but certainly something interesting to talk about. We will be posting our um, our divisional breakdown on our Pick Up the Blitz Twitter 
and our Pick Up the Blitz podcast Instagram page. So please be sure to check us out there. And if you haven't seen us on YouTube yet, we are on YouTube as well. So please be sure to check out uh, Nick's funny faces on the Zoom, which he makes the entire time as he's trying to read True. what is on the screen. I want to thank you guys so much for spending just a little bit of your Monday with us. It's an absolute pleasure to talk football with all of you as always. And we'll see you uh, on Friday for Vince Manfred. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.